0: Hey everybody, this is Sam Uriah with Immigration and Travel. Uh, today we have a very special guest. He is a person that I met uh, yesterday, I believe. I can't count days anymore. I believe it was yesterday. Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> and um, you know, there's, this podcast is about immigration stories and also about people who travel and the crazy thing about travel is that everybody has a different story, a very unique story in the way they travel, from little details to, to big details. So um, this is not just entertainment for myself. It's, it's also meant to be shared. So today I have Mr. Martin Sway. He is an American, and um, I'll actually let him introduce himself. Martin, wh- where are you
1: originally from? Well, I was born and raised in Miami uh, until I was like eight and a half. When I, like, when I was about seven, Hurricane Andrew came down and smashed through the peninsula. So <clears throat> it ruined the house. We rebuilt the house, or my parents rebuilt the house. I was, I was seven. I didn't do anything. And, uh, and then we moved up to Atlanta after that. And I've been living there ever since. So how old are you right now? 36. I'm 36.
0: So born and raised in Miami?
1: Yeah. Born, let's say I was born in Miami. I was raised in Atlanta. Raised in Atlanta? Yeah. What are your memories of Miami? Mostly just being a kid, trying to do stunt devil bullshit on my bike. And okay. The hurricane came, smashed a bunch of trees over, and I made a bunch of forts in the, in the down trees. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Do you remember what it was like to go from, from Miami to Atlanta? Because they're not too far away. It's they're so not, away. but they're different worlds apart. I'll tell you, when, when we were in Miami, like we didn't have autumn we didn't cuz nothing falls <laughs> like you might have one palm frond that falls in your yard in the year so my grandparents they would send us a box of leaves every year and we we would put it in a kiddie pool and we'd play in these little shut leaves shut up that's hilarious yeah. they forced autumn upon you yeah 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 and you know what i still like you know how they say smell is like is like the it's your best memory is through smell, yeah, yeah, or something yeah. Like that, man. I, I, It was the first time I ever smelled autumn, was when we opened up that box. I still remember that smell. Like I still <laughs> remember that moment when I smelled dead leaves. I was like, oh.
0: And when you amazing. smell them again, it brings you right back to that, that moment course, as well. Every it's amazing.
1: Yeah. That is
0: hilarious. So, how was Atlanta? Uh, tell me what it was like from you know age nine to adolescence and. I've never been to Atlanta, so I'm I'm very interested in knowing this particular portion.
1: I mean, I grew up in the suburbs. You know, we we moved into some townhouses just for now in giant quotation marks, which lasted like three and a half years, and uh, <clears throat> these were some townhouses in a in a pretty, in like unincorporated Snellville. I mean, it would that you can't get more uninteresting than this place. And it was called Destin Circle, and. Uh, I grew I so I lived there for like three years and then we moved into a proper neighborhood not too long after that. I went to this uh called Brookwood High School. They were they were pretty well known for their football team at the time. But I, I didn't play football or any other sports, so but uh it was okay. You know, I had a patch of woods next to the house. And um I remember when I first started doing like experimenting with cigarettes and drugs and alcohol and I, I bought this uh cheap bottle like plastic liter bottle of McCormick vodka and I and I went out and I had a hiding place My the best hiding place to this day was I dug a perfectly cylindrical hole about a, about 18 inches deep and then I just put an old tree stump on top of it okay and that's where I would keep my bottle <laughs> so you started uh I mean, how how you lived in the suburbs, so
0: it wasn't like a rough neighborhood or anything. No, 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 no,
1: not at all. Well, is not
0: that at is, is that what Atlanta's vibe is like? Is is it is it a vibe of kids grow up fast and start experimenting? I mean,
1: it's kind of like that everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I guess I I I, I wouldn't know what to say. Like we did, I didn't grow up fast. I don't think. I think I grew up at at a normal rate because I didn't have to live in like the projects. I I didn't I wasn't subjected to any real real shit, you know. I just lived in the burbs. It was pretty easy. I had normal problems.
0: So being that age, being in high school, what were your dreams at the time? Were you one of those kids that knew what they wanted to go into right after high school?
1: I had no idea. I envied people who did. I still don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I got a book right now. The book I'm in the middle of is How to Be Everything. How to Be Everything. It's a book for people... It's a book for people that they call, in giant quotation marks, (laughs) multi-potentialites. It's just people who just are good at lots of things, but not particularly, like jacks of all trades, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, (laughs) it's just how to kind of harness that ability you have to learn things and maybe multitask and try to figure out how to harness that to do something that brings you meaning in your life.
0: Pretty much. I I think... um... You know, have a friend from Tunisia and she, it's kind of the opposite of you because she went to school. She knew she knew she wanted to be a civil engineer, made that a career, has worked in it for about six, seven years. And now she doesn't want to do it anymore. And now she's back to square one. She's like, you know what? I don't think I really wanted to do that. I don't think I wanted to be a civil engineer. So. In a way, she followed a special skill Mm. and didn't have that meaningful purpose that you're talking about. I think we're in society, we're a little bit obsessed with uh, thinking that a career makes you, you know, full, gives you fullness, Mm. gives you uh, fulfillment. So, you know, it's it's not, I'm sure you're not the only one of many, many people have that definition of, okay, well, I'm good at everything. How do I make this into something? But, I mean, I I met you because you're doing something special, you know? Because you're traveling, because you're doing things that other people aren't doing. Mm -hmm. That in itself is fulfilling. So, I guess in a way you have an example of you who is doing something special and doesn't see it and then someone who went the traditional way maybe and then is is thinking, well, that didn't fill me either. So it's really what Whatever fills you, it's not necessarily a skill or a career. It's just what you're doing. Hmm. So, um, I mean, I, I guess if you, if you still say you don't know, like what is it that you're looking for? But before we talk about that, we were talking about Atlanta. We were talking about, um, well, you, you didn't know what you're doing, but what did you end up doing
1: after high school? Uh, after high school, in high school... I joined the military Because I, I was I was suspended From school I don't even remember what I I was suspended so many times I don't remember what I did Why this. were you getting suspended? I don't know I was, I was an asshole
0: What do you mean? You were getting in fights? Or you were missing no, school? or? What? I was just
1: doing stupid shit I was like Being the smartass of teachers I was you just a uh, class clown, huh? Not even the class clown I was like I was trying to I was trying to prove myself, I guess I don't know You know, when I look at it now like we all do. That's how I see it. Yeah. But uh, I was at home when 9-11 happened and uh, suspended from school. And my buddy called me and said, hey, man, we're under attack. And, and, I, and I, I turned the TV on I saw what was happening. And the three of us, we were all three best friends. We went down to the recruiter the next day. How old were you at the time? Actually? I was 16 at the time.
0: Okay, so you have, you, pretty have, you have a pretty good memory of what was happening yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: But uh, so I was 16 at, at the time, but I had to wait so the recruiter told me come back in a year when you're 17 because once your parent like you can join with your parents as your co-signatory at 17 at 18 you can do it by yourself without your parents so I waited one year uh, or not even a year I waited a few months until I was uh, like nine months until I was 17 and then I started the, the paperwork and the test like they have to do this ASVAB test it's like your aptitude battery that they give you and um I did that, and then by the time I was ready to go and swear in, it was exactly a year. So my exactly one year later, September twelfth, two 2002, was the day that I swore in. And uh, I went to basic training uh, this summer after senior year. So when everyone else was going off to college and going out and swimming and pool parties and all that fun stuff, I I went out to to basic training.
0: But, I mean, that's a... A lot of people do that if they don't know what they're getting into. right? And if you think about it, asking a kid who's 18 to choose a career or to choose a path and yeah, sure. not everybody has good parental support or somebody around them who's advising them or maybe they haven't found their inspiration, I think the best choice is to join the military.
1: <laughs> it, it, it's a good choice. It gives you life experience, man. It, it grows you up pretty fast. So when we're talking about did my childhood grow me up pretty fast? No, but that, I think, right. I think probably caught me up a little bit.
0: How was, uh, I guess, basic training, and what did they make you do um, after that? What, what, what were your so, duties after that?
1: I was a reservist. So the difference between the reserves and the regular army uh, is it's the same training. You all go to training together. The only difference is, is after you graduate, regular army goes off to their duty station, and the reservists go home. And then you're like a, they don't like the term, but they, but I'll use it anyway, the weekend warrior. It's like one weekend a month, two or three weeks per year, and you're just kind of doing like this, training just to keep fresh. But if the country needs you, then they call you. They call you into service. So I finished basic, and then I finished advanced training, and then I went off to, uh, I went back home, and I decided I was gonna start going to college okay and I was going to college and that's when they called me out so they called me to to go to Iraq you weren't expecting a call I mean yes and no like I guess lots of people were getting called it was just like this lottery you know it seemed like a lottery to us Mm -hmm. so lots of people were getting called
0: people started getting calls and telling you that they were getting calls no like like
1: lots of units Mm -hmm. were getting called you know like this division that division so I just knew it was a matter of time until our division was called I see and when we once you're called you have to go so I had to like leave college and and then we we deployed and we spent like five months stateside Mm -hmm. doing training like out in Mojave Desert and in Fort Irwin California Mm -hmm. and then Fort Stewart Georgia and uh, and then after that we just we flew east we went over to to Iraq so how many
0: how much time Happened between you starting going to
1: college and you getting the call. I don't remember. Maybe like a quarter or two. It was a quarter system, so it was like a quarter or two quarters. So about like a semester or something like that. So it was. Ba- I was, it was pretty fresh. Yeah. Couldn't was... you, you
0: hadn't even really started college. Barely, barely. So you just you were pretty happy, kind of satisfied to to have started a new path, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm back to. Yeah.
1: yeah. Back to what i was supposed to. Yeah. Then, then what I kind of signed call. up for, really. Yeah. You know? Pretty much. Pretty much. And it's a, it was a 545 day deployment. So like the first six months of that was stateside training, but then it was like a year in country. Mm And, uh, then I, so it was May 23rd ish, 2005 to May 23rd ish, 2006 when I was in the Middle East.
0: Okay, how was your goodbye? How was your relationship with your parents and people around man, Atlanta? Man. was it what did you?: That
1: you, was so hard, man. It was hard, right? Oh my God, because you have no idea what you're going into. I mean, That's you have an true, idea man. and it's pretty bad. Yeah I, I remember so well. Like they give you this last family day, the day before you ship, and your family can come on the post and they can see you, but at 5 pm at 1,700 hours. Sharp, They call formation. And once they call formation, that means that the whole family has to leave. Mm -hmm. You have to say goodbye and go form up at 1,700 hours. Which, you know what? That's the only way you can say goodbye to your family. Because otherwise, how do you do it under your own volition? How do you just like, okay, I'm going to go to war now. Bye. Yeah. (laughs) So
0: I pretty much – do you think the worst at that time? Are you thinking this – I mean, you probably don't think it, but you are kind of – thinking that the worst case scenario is this is the
1: last time I see them. There, there, there's definitely that. Yeah. There's definitely that anxiety. And saying goodbye to everybody, it was like, it was so hard. Everyone was crying. Yeah. Even my dad. My dad, you know, he's a typical boomer dad. First and last time he ever told me he loved me was, was that day. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he couldn't even get it out. He was squealing like a pig. <laughs> squealing like a pig when he was trying to say it but I knew what he was trying to say and I I took it and I remember right before I, I I rounded the corner of the barracks to head to formation I looked back one last time and none of them saw me look back they were all standing there just like in ruins
0: it, I I remember that was so this was uh, not a private party. there
1: was a lot of you guys with a lot of families around right? yeah
0: it, so it was just weeping everywhere
1: well I guess in my case I can't speak for anyone else but in my case like we were there, there were tons of barracks there were like rows and rows of barracks and like we were just kind of like between some of the barracks mm. so there was no one else around <laughs> within my limited within my limited site yeah I would imagine that other people were doing similar things but yeah we had privacy in our case but maybe other people were just in a big field and and we're just crying in front of everybody i don't know
0: wow so talk me through that you know first day or first half a day how did you guys get put on uh special plane and flown out how long was the flight any layovers what, what was the whole journey like
1: Yeah, it was like I don't remember too well honestly you, I think you were, you were
0: kind of your memory is a blur because of your emotions huh
1: it probably just because bad memory <laughs> I think okay if I remember correctly the first thing you do we, we went to uh, the airfield outside of Fort Stewart and we got on a commercial liner just a regular plane, but it was chartered. So there's no civilians on this. Right. A lot of soldiers, they just go to the airport, and which is crazy. There's a comedian who talks about how funny this is. I think he's Louis C.K. He's like, yeah, there's just soldiers that are just on the same plane as you, but they're going to war. Yeah. So in our case, we were all the only ones on the plane. But then they fly us to Kuwait, and you do, like, your mobilization in Kuwait. So it was, like, three weeks... I guess I guess that's where all your gear catches up to you and, and you stage, so <clears throat> which I still don't know what the hell that means, but all of your gear catches up, unloaded, prepped, and uh, and at the same time we're acclimatizing to the weather, which is important because it was like I think it was getting in the highs of 54 degrees, which is about. That's Celsius. I don't know why I'm speaking Celsius right now, but it was it was up. it was fifty five Celsius. Yeah, it was like hundred thirty five oh degrees Fahrenheit. Are you kidding me? Yeah, when we were there in Kuwait at that time, so because it was like May June. That is ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Yeah, if you even touch, like if you even touched the bumper on the Humvee, <laughs>
0: it would burn you.
1: You get a you get a blister. That is ridiculous, man. That is absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. So, and we lived in tents. They had an AC in it and it was just blowing like turbo all day and it still couldn't catch up to the heat. It was still hot as shit. I couldn't imagine if they they weren't working.
0: That is so We would
1: hang out in the bathroom trailer because it was smaller and the AC was better. We just play cards and, and the shitters. Yeah. Damn. That's <laughs> but that's we spent extreme, like three man. weeks there. That's a uh,
0: that's heat stroke heat.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. People did get heat stroke too. But then three weeks there at Camp Buring and then they flew us in uh in like a So you, you were,
0: in were in Kuwait City for how long? No, no,
1: not Kuwait City, Camp Buring. It's a it's a little camp.
0: But when you landed originally in Kuwait it was
1: We landed in Probably in the airport, but once we landed, they. (laughs) Once we landed, I remember they, uh, they like shuffled us into these little shuttles and they all had the curtains drawn. And, um, and it was at night. Mm -hmm. And we we drove just in the night through the desert all the way to our camp. And I remember at one point, I pulled the curtain because I wanted to see, and a sergeant was like, shut the curtain, sway. There's a reason why they're closed. I was like, "Oh shit," he's got a point. (laughs) So I closed the curtain. I didn't look out again. But, but we got to our, to our camp, and then three weeks there. And then when it was time to go to Iraq, that's when we boarded the. It was either like a C thirteen, or a C Mm -hmm. five, C one thirty, not C thirteen. That's I don't even know if that exists. A C one thirty, or a C five, and and the difference is a C five is like a two storied plane. Mm. Where you can load up your Humvees and tanks inside, wow. and then the whole unit can sit on top of it. <clears throat> That's yeah, crazy. Like Fuselage is like divided vertically. It's impressive. That is and, absolutely. And all crazy. the seats face the opposite way. So when you're taking off, like you're going that way, oh, it's you're like facing a, this way. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's 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 cool, man.
0: That is that is.
1: Yeah, but uh, it was one of those planes. But like. I remember the airstrip. There were all these bombed out bunkers next to the airstrip. Mm. Yeah.
0: We have a little guest here. He's a cat. I think it's a he or a she. What is it? Is it a she or a he?
1: I don't know, but she's got one eye.
0: Yeah, so <clears throat> I haven't announced it, but we're we're currently in um, Aqaba, Jordan. This is where I met Martin. We're staying in this hostel, and uh, it's a very, very nice hostel. Um it feels... It's, it's literally somebody's home. The, the owner's house is... Almer? Amer 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 right? And he's just pretty much turned his house into a hostel, separated all the rooms into, I guess, dormitory rooms, private rooms. Um, it's, it's a really, really well-run hostel. And, yeah, you get to meet and talk to people all the time here. Uh, he also has a little cat that is missing one eye. It's Missing an eye And I keep looking at it and It feels so bad I wish it had its eye You can tell It's got a beautiful face For a cat Even, even without the eye And um, man That just goes to show how, how vicious These cat fights can be huh? That's the only yeah. way I can envision This cat losing yeah. the, the, His That's eye has gotta be
1: What, what happens
0: Oh place. man These cats get In crazy fights There's
1: so many cats I mean this is The Middle East Dude, Yeah, They don't have Like dogs running around Right. There's no dogs at all. I've seen like two
0: dogs. In yeah. Germany. There's no dogs. I've seen. Yeah, you kind of see a a random dog, and yeah, a, just a <laughs> bunch of cats. A bunch of cats. A bunch of really weird colored, weirdly colored, yeah, fur all kinds of colors and. It's uh. It's definitely. But it's definitely not as abundant abundant as other places, obviously, right? Sure. Because, like, in Cairo, Cairo was like a nest of cats, you know? Oh, yeah. And Besides it's people, too.
1: yeah. Um, I think, yeah, the Middle East and Arab countries just have a lot of cats. They just don't like dogs. They're kind of like... They consider dogs as dirty stuff. Do they? Yeah, I think that's where it is. I think a lot of people are coming around now. Because I know a lot of Middle Easterners and, and North Africans that mm.
0: have dogs. Yeah. But. It's not like in the States where a dog has become almost like people's tools to cope with stress and depression and they, family members. It's like they're literally family members and, and everybody's got like a routine to walk them and Yeah, they're just they're they're like a little baby. They're all babies. The like dogs are, are very well taken care of in the States. Yeah. It's a total contrast here. Um but yeah, um, I was going to say in Cusco, Peru, that's where societies of dogs live. Absolute really? societies. I remember staying in a hostel that was because Cusco's an old city. So yeah. there's inaccessible areas to cars. And I remember me leaving pretty late at night to go eat. And I don't remember uh, what I was doing, but I remember thinking, oh man, like, as I was walking out, I had to walk down these stairs and then turn right. And as I turned right, there was another set of stairs. And that's where, like, just like a hub of dogs was. I'm, I'm, I'm talking 20 dogs. And they were all chilling, barking, almost like talking to each other, like setting some sort of plan up or something. I did. And I literally, I was so scared. And I, that was the only way I could walk down to go to my destination. I was like, what do I do? Do I look at these dogs? Or do I ignore them? Will they sense my fear and bite me? I had no choice but to just go. And so I went and the dogs didn't even flinch. They, just, they were all looking though. It was weird being surrounded by so many dogs. They kept looking. Then I left. And I, immediately after I passed the test, I guess, I was already fearful of my return because that's where I was staying. I'm like, I really hope when I come back, these dogs are gone. Because one thing is leaving, and them sensing that you're leaving, and another thing is, um, hey, oh, and, and then another thing is coming back, and them feeling threatened that, oh, you're coming to our territory. So I did what I had to do, and I came back later, and I was so scared, and I, I just walked through them, and I remember all of them were looking, they all turned their heads, and they're looking at me, and I was just waiting for one of them to, to attack me. And I just kind of kept looking straight, walked past all of them, and just breathed a breathed a sigh of relief after because being outnumbered by so many dogs in one place was just surreal. That's terrifying. And it's that's where they just kicked it. It was like this gang of dogs, and even throughout the day, you would see dogs kind of. It's it's almost like if two people were walking down the street <clears throat> talking to each other. It's like two dogs walking next to each other. All kinds of breeds I saw this like Abomination of a dog I can't even describe to you What it was <laughs> It was this Thing that looked like A mop A huge mop <laughs> A mop head And it was just like The 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 hobo dog of, of Cusco And it was huge And it just Randomly attacked A bunch of dogs And all the dogs Just ran away scared And I was like Damn this fucking They look like the homeless dog Even though they're all homeless And uh and I was just, I think that's my, my biggest like memory of Cusco. the dogs, just so many dogs and going through that, you know, like it was like I keep saying it was like a society of dogs, and um, it's crazy, it's crazy. And you don't know which one to trust. You never know if one of them just loses it. <laughs> and you happen to be right there, especially at night, because at night you really see them during the day. You kind of spread out. They
1: get territorial at night. I know, man. It's scary. You know what you gotta do. You know how to scare them, right? You gotta just. I don't want to scare
0: them though, because then they attack.
1: No, no, no! no. If they're already trying to attack you, then the best thing you can do that I know of is just to bend down and even if there's nothing to pick up, pretend you're picking up something and pretend to cock it back like you're gonna throw it at them. They know what that is. What is it? They they think it's a rock. They think oh. you're going to throw something at them. Man, I've scared off some vicious dogs. Really? Mm-hmm. I've been surrounded by lots of dogs, very territorial dogs, and it was terrifying.
0: And you just pretended to be... On multiple occasions. Yeah. You, you just pretended... Most of the
1: time, I actually could pick up something. Got but it. But maybe once, once, there was nothing to pick up, and I just pretended. And it still works. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, that's yeah, you, crazy. Yeah, it's it's a
0: shitty situation to be in. Oh, I want to go to a country that has different animals around. Because yeah, I've seen the cats. I've seen the dogs. Um, the. You go to Kenya. How's Kenya?
1: They got giraffes on the side of the road. Shut up. Yeah. In uh, Nairobi? Just, yeah. Just, yeah, like right out the city. You'll start seeing giraffes, zebras.
0: No way.
1: Yeah, You'll see giraffe roadkill fucking imagine that oh my
0: god that's
1: <laughs> crazy and, uh,
0: well it's, it's like in Florida you see all those crocodiles I mean you, yeah. you, you, you yeah. do you remember seeing cro- crocodiles gators. And yeah. gators oh yeah
1: all the canals man you can't even go swimming in these canals no because the gators will get you mm-hmm. you're dead mm-hmm. <clears throat> I like that's, that's
0: a fascinating concept to me is how close we are with animals you know like they're and depending on the mm-hmm ecosystem that you're living in you can have it's like well australia they have the kangaroos on the side of yeah. the road and they see don't they see them as uh pests yeah they're like deer that's just so crazy to me poor animals man <laughs> um that's cool so <clears throat> join the military landed in uh or spent how, how many weeks in in uh you well kuwait, kuwait three weeks and then kuwait and three weeks what do you remember about Kuwait do you, were you able to sense the culture or sense no no no, no I was on the camp the whole time yeah that's the thing about being in the military is you you aren't in places yeah
1: but exactly you don't, you don't feel you anything you pass through a place on your way to the Just, shittiest part of it yeah yeah so I got to I did get to visit through Kuwait a couple other times unrelated uh-huh. but on that like when I was there
0: with my unit no we didn't do shit how was how, okay given that we're talking about it how was it the well, how was it coming back and kind of knowing that you were close to the place where you were at originally and then being able to feel the culture that time what did you oh about? no
1: I, I was still there with the military but it was oh, like, like it was like months later great. and it was just very briefly I can't even say were you I were in Kuwait City did. yeah I think so mm-hmm. we were driving somewhere at night in, in oh, okay. an SUV and mm-hmm. we were hauling ass <laughs> I don't really
0: know. Okay, so now talk me through going to Iraq and um, and just being there. How, how long did you? <clears throat> how long were you stationed there uh, out there for?
1: I was there for a year. For one year. Yeah, I was in like five months in in the international airport area. There was like this this camp. It was all tents at the time, um, and we would get. I don't know, it's hard to count how many times like, you hear the rockets coming. Like, they just, people would pretty much just come up nearby, near the base and they'd have like a mortar uh, tube or whatever it's called. They'd have a mortar gun, whatever they're called, just like welded to the back of their truck. They'd ride up and then they'd lob a few mortars into the camp and then they'd just haul ass out. So you'd never catch them so you're just chilling on base sometimes and then mortars and rockets just start flying
0: flying directly in, to into you into the camp into the camp
1: yeah it starts landing all around you never know where it's gonna hit so what do you do <laughs> what can you do I mean they have so you live in tents but how but how
0: how nice are the tents or how accommodating are they they're like little
1: circus tents
0: but you get an individual tent
1: no. You oh, no. sure? Yeah, we had multiple people in each tent. We built partitions in our tents oh. so that we could have a little privacy. Wow. It was just plywood. And then the people in my tent, we formed a little HOA. <laughs> 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 and we hired a guy from off base to come and install a satellite on our tent Really? So we could have the internet. Really?
0: Yeah. How, hey, was, how was the weather, though? I was thinking about whether it was too hot.
1: hot. It was awful it was too hot way too hot yeah, oh was,
0: gosh i can't i can't even imagine dude yeah so i can't even imagine but we had internet <laughs> and you know and this was what year 2005
1: 2005 so what, what how were you able to surf the web either way uh, if we had computers like those of us who had a laptop I we were able, able to surf you were able to catch the first ever youtube video <laughs> 2005 I I, I think it was the first YouPorn video to be honest with you
0: everybody's watching I mean
1: that's all we cared about looking back that's true I don't think anybody did anything else with the internet at the time
0: right right. that's true man I I think that's how the internet evolved
1: yeah we like we we also no no okay mostly what we used was MySpace at the time everybody had a MySpace account Facebook was just coming out and everyone's like why would we get Facebook we already have MySpace (laughs) What's the point?
0: Nobody, Listen, anybody <laughs> Any, any time things change, people cannot take it. Yeah. They are so it's almost like change has been instilled in our minds mm-hmm. as, as if it's something negative, and people don't realize that that's how life evolves. Without change, imagine just being born and being a baby forever. Then you change. You keep changing as a human, Physic like nature changes you for you to become and eventually die. That's what makes life life, mm-hmm. and I feel like uh, change. You know, people people cannot take, and I'm I'm getting a little bit deeper and off topic because I'm thinking of like the World Cup in soccer. It happens every four years, and now there's a new generation of kids who aren't really watching soccer. And soccer is a big big business, so what they're planning on doing, what FIFA wants to do, is make the World Cup every two years instead of every four. And all, all of us who are older generations, not me though, are like, no, World Cups every four years, it's always been like that. It's like, that's not a reason to continue to do mm. things. Oh, it's always been like that. No, there's a new generation coming. Mm. They want more entertainment because clearly these kids are not easily satisfied as as much as we were. Um, and they, they want... You know, there's even talk of shortening, shortening games in the future. Like the generation between 16 years and 24 years old is rapidly losing interest in, in football and soccer. And I do think that when you combine the whole World Cup, it, when even even when people who don't watch soccer do watch soccer, clearly that would help you. You know, make newer generations engage. But I kept thinking about that concept, like. What's so wrong about making that every two years more? It, yeah, it's great. It doesn't make anything lose its value. People, I mean, they're still going to be competing at the highest level, and then we get to watch it every other year. So, changing, and like you were saying, from MySpace to Facebook, it just it just made me
1: think. But the difference between MySpace, MySpace and Facebook is—is is it just seemed redundant? It seemed like some. I don't think any of us knew how different Facebook was going to end up being. Because at the time, it was just another way to message your friends. So it was like, why bother?
0: Right. And it actually seemed a little bit more more uh, dull than MySpace. Because MySpace, I remember MySpace would allow you to put music in your profile, mm-hmm. have bulletin boards, and uh, mm-hmm. have all these interactive like tools. And then Facebook was like, flat white. Well, that's the other thing about MySpace. You could customize your colors and all yeah. that. Um, and then Did you have a MySpace? I was able to get a MySpace, yeah. <laughs> I, I was cool. I, I had it for about
1: t- six to eight months. And did, did you it, know did you know that Tom is like he he's sold? Retired. Yeah, he's sold. He's like he's like my age or something. He he's sold it. A, is he? No, he millions of dollars. He's like forty or something. He sold
0: it for three sixty five million, I think.
1: Yeah. He he's retired, but he's a photographer now. He's got an incredible Instagram page. Does he, yeah, and he takes really good photos. He
0: must have been the, the first like he should be kind of the he, he he is the the spearhead of social media in a way he's yeah. the first guy to create something and sell it off, yeah, which is I mean and the reason Facebook's still around is because they bought off their competition <clears throat> um, and you can tell Zuckerberg created whatever he created, and he wants to continue expanding it to now pretty much controlling every part of society you're having some input into society mm-hmm. but yeah i mean everybody remembers tom and and uh, <laughs> picture looking back yeah. and he's in front of a whiteboard yeah,
1: his, his photo never changed
0: <laughs> yeah I, I the reason i know what you just said is i had uh twitter i still have a twitter but i was way more active a few years back and that let me tell you twitter is the most entertaining app out there because it's limited on characters so you can't post super long boring statements it just condenses everything into some sub- a substance and also celebrities are like they they you see that the the real uh the, the the real personalities of celebrities they interact with people and then tom had a twitter and somebody had replied to something like, "Oh, Tom, like don't you feel like a loser? Like your myspace uh idea didn't work out. Where is it at now and and then he he responded to the guy saying something like, "Well, I sold it for three hundred and sixty five mil and now I'm just blah blah pretty much like talking about what he's doing in life then." And it's like, yeah, the dude won. The dude <laughs> yeah. absolutely won. Yeah, damn straight. Man. But there's people on the internet that are that are gonna be like, oh well, you, you, uh, your thing didn't last. It's like, well, I don't. He clearly didn't care about it lasting because he sold it Just off. Just
1: your thing doesn't last forever. Doesn't mean it's a failure.
0: Absolutely not. Like I said, he is the he's a leading the uh, like um, character of social media. Yeah, in in a way, he changed he changed the world and what's crazy is my brother's 15 and even kids older than him they have no idea what the fuck MySpace was they have no idea that and and, and I, I like that I'm in this generation where I was able to live without cell phones internet and all that and I saw everything shift because technology ain't going away Mm-hmm. So when I'm like 50, 60, 70, I'm going to be able to look back and go, I was there when everything shifted. Mm-hmm. It's a big huge shift that
1: not everybody, I'm not sure every generation has had to experience, right? I feel lucky to to be one of the last generations that too. went outside, me too. And had play fights and played yeah. football and and got dirt in my, you know, dirt on my knees and, you know, scraped
0: your knees. Yeah,
1: man. You know,
0: Got a tooth punched out of your mouth.
1: Yeah, my nephew. He's like 14 years old. And a few years ago, he was on the iPad after school, not doing anything. And we're like, Derek, you know, go outside, play with your friends. He said, no one's outside.
0: Oh, man, that makes me like, sad. oh,
1: shit, I don't even know what to say to that anymore. Yeah. Because he was right. He wasn't exaggerating. There's no
0: one outside. It's weird because we have way more gadgets now to, or for parents to like, know where their kids are and be you know comfortable. I mean, if you if you have the the tracker, you can you can you can define my friends, mm-hmm. for example, on on Apple. That you can you know where everybody is at all times if the if the uh, other person allows you to track their location. But when I was a kid, and I think about this now and can't actually believe what, I'm, what I actually lived, which is being in Bogota, being in Colombia, which at the time was way hotter than it is now. And by hot, I mean it was a little bit more dangerous. And my mom never, she just, I would go out, go do whatever I wanted. I'm not kidding, anywhere in the city, I would take the bus, she'd give me equivalent of five bucks. Which was enough at the time to pay for a few buses, go places, get myself a little bit of food, and then come back at a certain time. And she always said, you better be back here by 7. If you're not here by 7, you're getting it. Which meant the belt. Which At the time, it's another unbelievable unbelievable concept now is getting whipped. Even in Colombia now, nobody whips their kids. Because globalization has kind of woken everybody up a little bit. Like oh, okay, I guess we're not supposed to hate our kids. But my generation, right? we still had that treatment. And I remember I'd I'd roam the streets all day, every day, every weekend, even going to school and coming back from school. There was no no cell phones. It was like you just expected your kid to arrive or I expected myself to arrive back at home at at a certain time. And yeah, there was a few times I didn't come home and that's when she would worry. So it was almost like she had this supreme confidence in me that I could just handle imagine just putting anyone out there in the streets and be like be home at 7 it's good like as a mom you're not there worried, but all the moms now like what's my kid doing or where's he at and it's have, hard
1: to imagine now but like when I travel especially in Asia and in, in, in Latin America I'll just be on the metro next to a fucking 4 year old who's, who's got money and he's like going to buy milk yeah, across yeah. the city it it's it's kind of cool to to see that
0: yeah it's it's still ha- it's still happening in uh in these countries in these third world i guess countries um i think colombia's oh it's it's kind of always paying attention to to what the u s does mm-hmm. even my mom who's a lawyer in colombia she says mm-hmm. the the laws are quite similar so I think uh, as the U.S. has evolved, Colombia has as well. But when you talk about countries on this side of the world, like and you've been to Asia, um, and also in Egypt, I just came from there. You know, kids. I literally, I, they couldn't be older than five. Riding donkeys in the middle of the road.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The kids who are fourteen years old, maybe younger, riding those tricycle cars, the tuk-tuks. Yeah. Driving them, not riding them. And they're illegal. Nobody has li- nobody has a license to drive. And not only do they drive them and do they drive like maniacs and is everybody honking at them like re- legitimate cars that can do legitimate damage to them, honking like crazy at these people. Sometimes they go the wrong way just to make a turn that they probably missed. They will literally turn around and be kind of like next to the curb and on the Also on the street and wiggle their way through traffic head on. I was in one and the dude made a U-turn and started going against traffic and I was like, What is happening here? Yeah, he he was wherever I was going, he had that's what he had to do, and it's like the informality in some countries is unbelievable. (laughs) Seeing these kids just run like run freely in society you'll never see that in the United States no, P- no, kid. Never again. parents are way too too protective of that but my point in saying all that is American parents can be a little bit more relaxed because you know everybody has a good living wage their the kids can have phones you can track their location mm. but they're still so overprotective that's the first thing I noticed when I moved from Columbia to the US at the time
1: Americans just don't trust anybody Americans think the world yeah. is a very bad place they think it's a lot worse than it really is they suffer from that mean world syndrome whenever I get on like Facebook groups where it's just people from all over the world are part of like this travel group like Facebook travel groups I should like backpacking groups every time I read someone say is this country safe I just know that they're American <laughs> yes. and it's my little like pet theory that I've got so like whenever I see that I always look at their profile and so far I've been right every time Now, that doesn't really mean anything, but it's just kind of, it just kind of bolsters the idea that, you know, Americans really are just more fearful. They're less, less trustful, they're more distrustful. Another example, when I was traveling up Latin America, I hitchhiked all the time, man. Even I was in Africa and Asia and I, every time I stuck my thumb out, usually the first person would stop. Sometimes I would see them try to apologize that they couldn't stop because their car was full. Wow. There was a time I wasn't... I was not even trying to hitchhike. And a guy stopped. A semi-truck stopped. He was like, hey, do you need a ride? It was in... Fuck, it was in Rwanda. And he was like, "You do you need a ride? I was like, ah, sure, I guess so. I was just trying to walk. And, and I got... <laughs> I got in the semi-truck, and we just drove until, uh, until I turned off. And all through Mexico, man, I, I was taking blah-blah cars and, and, and buses. And there's blah-blah cars
0: in Mexico? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I think
1: it, it was either in the south or in the north of Mexico where it was really common. But one of them was non-existent, and the other one was, like, really common. <clears throat> but I did hitchhike a lot. While I was in Mexico, especially in like San Luis Potosi, because it doesn't have a lot of infrastructure. So if you want to see certain things at certain times of day, you just got to hitchhike. Anyway, point is, I get up to the border, cross over the border in Texas, and I try to hitchhike. No one picked me up. No one. No one picked me up. And I was at the best. I mean, if there was a... Certain hitchhiking spots are better than others. You want to be next to a to an exit. Yeah. You want to be in a place where they can have enough time to stop. You want to be <sighs> like I was at the red light in a little bit of shade. I was at the red light just before cars turned on turned off into the freeway onto the freeway. It was there. I've never seen a better spot to hitchhike, <laughs> and people would stop. And here's the great thing, but the bad thing about Americans is that they're all so friendly and talkative. People were like talking to me saying hey how's it going but no no one would give me a ride two people offered me money instead of a ride offered you money yeah so I guess what I could oh you mean they offered to give you money to
0: get a bus or something yeah they offered me
1: money I was like I don't need money I'm just trying to get a little adventure you know I'm trying to have fun it's just like as soon as I crossed the border no one would trust me in their car they wanted to help so Americans aren't bad people, I don't think. I mean, I know for a fact that, you know, most Americans are... Most people across the world are just good folks. But I'll be honest
0: with you. I have never hitchhiked. And I keep meeting people that do. And I'm just so surprised at how little... Or how few stories they have about things going wrong. Like, most like most stories, I don't... I, to be honest, I don't even think I've heard anybody tell me, "Oh, I had a really bad experience." Yeah. Um, never, had, never had. Yeah, these people, and it's just yeah, like other other countries are just more friendly. They are more. They're more trustworthy though,
1: because Americans are. They friendly. just want to help.
0: It's like more in in America is very individualistic, and that's the main difference.
1: They're friendly though. They just don't trust you. They won't let you. In their no, car. they're
0: very friendly people, but they're really they're very judgmental and individualistic and I'm not speaking about everybody there's different people America's a big enough country um, that yeah, it, it doesn't deserve to be judged on, as a whole but I do notice that uh, people are more individualistic like why aren't you in a car like why don't you have a car why aren't you driving to your destination and other countries are usually like do you we do everything together mm-hmm. if you need help it's sometimes it's like not even help to them it's like this is the absolute bare minimum or it's like a thing to do it's like throwing trash into a recycle bin uh in the states as common as it is in the states to classify your trash it is very common to hitchhike and get people's help like it's nothing in other countries it's just Mm -hmm. a different tradition so I'm very surprised about how many people have traveled and and hitchhiked and always had positive things to say about it.
1: Yeah, I've I've done it many times and I've never had a bad experience. What's the most dangerous country that you've done it in that maybe you're like, eh, I don't know if this is the right country? You know, the the most dangerous countries I've been in have either been America (laughs) or the Americas. Ah, So Right. The only countries that are more dangerous than America are because of America that I've been in. Man, that's a powerful statement. That's a powerful statement. Like Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador. Those countries have some properly dangerous places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Colombia, I know it has more of a reputation. It still has its danger now, but it's nothing like, you know, pre-92. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um... Just all the Americans, like everywhere I've been in in Latin America has been pretty dangerous to a degree. Yeah. But but the U.S. is like...
0: The U.S. is pretty dangerous, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, you're probably not going to get shot at a movie theater in Mexico. That's very true. Or at an elementary school. That's very true. That's crazy. Um,
0: Okay, so I wanted to keep talking about your story in Iraq. So you were there for one year. Yeah. Was the weather hot the entire year? No, I'm sure no. it changed. Winter time. Was it, it too cold? cold? It got pretty yeah, cold it got in got winter. Pretty chilly in the winter time.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, what was your day to day routine there? So in Iraq, I had a really interesting job. <clears> okay. <throat> you only hear about the people who are kicking indoors, <clears throat> but what you don't hear about are the people who are doing good. And. <clears throat> um, so for example, so like we, we had a large unit, and we had an artillery unit a, a, a an artillery battery uh, attached to us, and these guys could put around in your back pocket from 10 clicks away. They were good, but what happens sometimes is they fire around at a target and they hit the target, but they might mm-hmm. kill a nearby goat Wow. And that goat is valuable property of an innocent man who had nothing to do with that. What does he do? You know, he needs to have recourse. He needs no. to be compensated for that. It's not just a goat. Sometimes it's a few goats. Sometimes it's a date palm. You know, like That's their main export. Sometimes our tanks would take out a, a palm tree. <clears throat> <clears throat> so they had to have a place where they could go. My job was... I think like every Wednesday or Monday or something, I would go out uh, with, with my chief. We would go out together to this little building that was outside the, the gate. And we would allow the Iraqis to come in, the affected Iraqis to come in. And we had, our territory was huge. It was like all of western Baghdad. Mm-hmm. They would come to our little office. Mm-hmm. And we had some translators, and they assisted with everything. The people would come in, they would tell us what happened, and then we would basically just take their claim. And I was the guy who was doing like all the paperwork for this. So I would take their claim, I would talk to them through the translators, and then um, we would take all of the claims back, and then we would, in quotation marks, adjudicate the claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, which meant we're just going to decide if we're going to approve or deny it. And I'll tell you now, we approved every fucking one of them. yeah. We're not going to go and investigate a dead goat.
0: Yeah. No, <laughs> we're
1: not risking our lives for that shit. Yeah. So and also, you know, our job is to win the hearts and minds of the people, right? We don't wanna create new enemies where there weren't one. So a goat, fifty bucks, you know. It was only fifty bucks. I, mean, I don't know exactly what we paid for it. Yeah. The chief knew. He was the one who this yeah. but I think he, I think he had something similar to a price list you know you have an idea of what you'll pay for certain things and it's tiered because some things are more expensive than others so then on, on Fridays we would go back out and we would inform everybody like that what we approved and we would go back out and we would pay the claims we go out with just cash mm. US dollars one day, it was the biggest load I've ever carried. It was $70,000, just cash, like mm. perfect $100 bills. And we went out, and we just made it rain. <laughs> <And then laughs> we, just, we just gave everybody exactly what they asked for. So it was a cool job because, like, you got to shake these people's hands afterward. You know, most of them were real claims. Like, yeah. maybe there was a frivolous one here and there, but who cares? Most of these people were... Seriously affected, and they were—they had the courage to even approach. Um, yeah, which is to them,
0: imagine like. I would be scared to approach any military. Yeah. And so they must have legitimately been like, "Hey, you know." How did
1: they even find out they could they could file claims? I'm not sure. I know. That. <laughs> I'm not sure, but we seem to had a steady flow of, of of people coming in. So they they knew somehow. Oh,
0: so I mean, you, I'm sure you, like you said, you had some fr- uh, frivolous um, claims because, yeah, if people could make a quick buck.
1: Yeah, they could say, hey, you killed my goat, and then we'll just, okay, we'll just pay it. But you know what? If we lose 50 bucks here and there, then it's not, like, we're paying so much money. Could anybody right? go
0: there and say, you didn't kill my goat, you killed my something? Yes. My, My
1: kid. My kid. Yeah. How much do you think you pay for a kid? Oh... I don't remember what it was, but there's a price on that. And, they, and you could tell by their emotion, huh? Well, no. For something like that, I think there was... I think we only had one... I think we had one kid. <clears throat> and um, he wasn't even dead. But uh, he, his legs were mangled. He'll, he'll never walk. Oh, no. And he was a special case... Uh, So I didn't... I was too low to have anything to do with this. But I know that he was... The family was compensated for how much money he would have made until his 18th birthday. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, his surgeries were all paid for. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's something people don't really know, huh?
0: About the military. A uh,
1: A lot of people don't know that the military has a wing of people that are out there trying to give recourse to people who are wrongfully...
0: Right, because I mean you kill and you attack a lot of territory, and unfortunately, you can't pinpoint your targets to the degree There's of, always collateral damage. Exactly, collaterals, yeah. yeah. But at least something good to know is the military is out there to help those yeah. who sadly are affected. To, to your... Okay, I don't know if you, you can tell people this, but... What was your mission in Iraq? Was it? Does it? Did it really feel like you were there to protect Iraqis from like, a uh, or I, were,
1: you, were you there to? We had an actual of, mission order, and I don't really remember what it was. It. I think it was just like. You know, I mean, this was in the. OIF-3, so that just means OIF, the third rotation. The first rotation was the people who went, who, like, invaded. They're the ones, they, they were the invasionary force. We were the ones who were, like, the holding force. So, our job was basically just to, like, the unit's job was basically to provide security, um... i I'm not really sure I'm not really sure what the unit's overall mission was. I know that we were just like providing stability we we were an occupational force at this time
0: no you no you didn't have to go attack anybody
1: no i didn't no I didn't have to attack anybody there you didn't already, you didn't see anything happen any crazy stories I know all I saw were like when the rockets would come in, so like but you don't see them you just hear them and you feel them um the only other like close calls I ever had was because I volunteered to go down on this little duty, down in like southwest Baghdad. It was a place called Mamudiya, and it was in the Triangle of Death, which is That's what they called it. <laughs> yeah, these three towns, Mamudiya, Yusufia, and Ludafia, and they comprised the Triangle of Death. And so, I I I was like having a little bit of shame because I felt like I, I was young, you know, and I was like, I was ego driven and I mean, I still am, but like I was a lot more than and uh, <clears throat> I felt like I was just a paper pusher, you know, paper pushers are given a lot of shit uh, if you're in an infantry unit. Because so, you're not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, because you're just like the support and they, they, they just give you a lot of shit. And so I wanted to do something. I wanted to feel like I was a part of it. I
0: felt I so, at, at, at what you're saying at one point is you were there, you were under no danger at all, and you felt like you just wanted to go do something with adrenaline. I wouldn't say I wasn't under, I was under no danger at all. It feels, was, it felt, you felt safe though?
1: No. No? Okay. I didn't feel safe. Because um, when we went out to our little, our little post outside of the wire, like, we were out, you're out, you know? And there were, it wasn't far out, but it was out. And then even on the post, when you get rockets hitting and you live in tents, you don't really ever feel safe. Because they come unpredictably. You have no idea where you're going to be when it happens. If it lands inside your tent, you're dead. You know? So, <clears throat> I wanted to like volunteer to go somewhere that was like a little more gung-ho. A little more hoorah. <laughs> and uh, there was this... This place in Mamoudia, and they needed a rotation of soldiers to come down and do gate guard and, and uh, participate in the uh, what was it called? The quick reaction force, quick reaction team, and you know, and like do a little EOD, which is explosive ordnance disposal escorts, and just little convoys in the surrounding neighborhoods and stuff. So, like, I was like, to me, I was thinking, that's the real soldier shit. I want to go do that. And uh, my major gave me a direct order, Sway, because he he saw a look in my eyes when they mentioned this. He was like, I'm giving you a direct order. Do not volunteer for that. (laughs) He fucking knew I was going to do it. I went to my first sergeant that day, and I said, hey, Top, you call your first sergeant Top, if you're you're friendly. I said, hey, Top, I'm not volunteering for that duty, but I just want to let you know that if I was randomly selected for it, I would not have a problem at all. (laughs) (laughs) he was like loud and clear his way (laughs) so the next day I got my orders to go down there and when I was down there that's when like it was a little more exposed you know because it was a very small camp it was tiny and you had to like sit in these uh, these towers and and what the, the main tower was right next to a petrol station and all the petrol tanks were above the ground it was like in three petrol t- tanks and they're just huge huge <clears throat> if they shot one of those things you're gone but we're sitting up there with a little machine gun and then you gotta sit up there throughout the night stay awake you've got these night vision goggles you're getting calls on the radio about suspicious activity and you're just like you're just waiting for someone to shoot you know it was, it was scary yeah I never had anybody shoot at us but we had like a call come in one night when they saw someone had seen like like four like four men with guns like sneaking around the base so I was like ready for a firefight oh wow and I was sitting there like on my uh, I think it was a saw which is a squad automatic weapon yeah with my night vision goggles and I could just feel my freaking heartbeat. In my ears, man. It was it was terrifying.
0: But nothing came. Nothing. About.
1: Happened. Nothing happened. No,
0: nothing happened. Not the, that day. So, one year in Iraq. Yeah. Did you hear about other units, things happening? Were you? How, how did you feel? Were you mostly bored? Like what was your? What was the one emotion that you felt most during that year?
1: Homesick You were homesick? Yeah Very homesick Yeah, homesick Homes- Atlanta homesick Yeah, I miss. Yeah, I still miss Atlanta at the time You still I don't miss Atlanta anymore but No <laughs> At the time I did, yeah Did
0: you have a girlfriend at the time you left behind no. or anything?
1: No, it was a lot easier for me than other guys yeah, the other guys were married. They had kids. Oh, that was tough. That yeah. must have been really tough. By the end of the deployment, a lot of these guys, they got phone calls that their wives are leaving them. No! they have been cheating on them the whole time. They were separating bank accounts. These guys were destroyed. Yeah. They hadn't even gotten home yet. Oh. And they're going home to nothing.
0: They're but going they, home to, instead of relaxing, to they, deal with problems. They thought like, that they
1: were going to go home to that woman for a whole fucking year and a half and then to find out two weeks before they go home that everything's gone
0: Ah, oh, you were smart
1: did you <laughs> did you calculate it or you just didn't have it no, you just didn't no. have anybody no my singleness was not calculated <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah
0: that's crazy man okay so you came home and how was the um Okay so you said your the overriding emotion was homesickness so how did you deal with it?
1: Oh you, can, you just can't do anything about it, it you know, huh. You just deal with it. Yeah, you just take it. Did you do put
0: like did you guys have a routine in the morning? Did you guys do pushups? Did you get you know like yeah,
1: in the combat zone there's no uh, there's no squad or no group fitness. Cause they don't want anyone to be in large. So you, know, you couldn't even time. do
0: push-ups. You couldn't do anything.
1: Oh yeah, you could if you wanted to. Oh, okay. I think I was I was probably too lazy to be doing that. At <laughs> I wasn't. I I stayed fit enough to like do okay on my physical fitness <laughs> tests, but I wasn't like super fit. <laughs> that's funny I had softens quite a bit from basic training you, you get hard in basic but then it was like but then you don't do nothing of it two years after basic I, I was soft again man yeah 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 that's <laughs> funny um
0: so what ha- like when did they tell you that your service was
1: not, no longer needed oh we knew we knew the day we left the whole day the whole t- the whole deployment we knew that our. you were MP, counting down the days yeah you you have it cross on your calendar the whole time and every day you move inexorably closer to the best day of your life. That's what it felt like, huh? Yep. And some of those guys, they lost that, for like, like I said. But in my case, that best day, it came. And then they marched us out onto a parade field. And we did this big old ceremony. And all the bleachers are just full of parents. It's this parade field at, the, at Fort Stewart where we flew in. They had all come down. All the families came down, and the bleachers were packed with people. I couldn't even find my family. I wow. knew they were there, yeah, but I couldn't see them. And then they, they like, had us march in and do this, you know, do this like drill and ceremony, <clears throat> and do the whole salute and like we, you know, saluted the flag while they did the Star Speng- Spangled Banner and all that stuff. But I remember the colonel at the end. He said, he he was just like, welcome back, soldiers. And then he turned around to the families and said, families, go find your heroes. Man, I've never seen bleachers empty that fast. Oh my goodness. Everybody just emptied and filled the field. It was...
0: You just, you just saw parents longing for, for dude, their it children. Dude, it was
1: people just tackling, people just crying in the grass. It was like a, it was like a battlefield. But everyone's happy.
0: Battlefield of emotion. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh my god! And I'm looking around for my family. And then I spotted my mom. I I tell you, man, I've never seen my mom run in my life. (laughs) (laughs) She juggernauted me, man. Man. And my whole family was crying. Because I didn't see him for that whole time. A lot of people get like a two-week leave and they go home. Uh... I got my leave so close to the end that I thought, I'll just go somewhere else.
0: Mm -hmm. Because
1: I didn't want to go. Where did you go? I went to Guam. To Guam? Yeah. That's far. It is. It was a free flight. (laughs) They give you a free ticket to anywhere in the world. Really? Yeah. And I literally said, I don't know where to go. Where can I go? And she's like, pick a region. I said, Pacific Ocean. She started naming off countries I had never heard of. (laughs) She was like, Kiribati... Tuvalu, Vanuatu, Palau, Guam. I was just like, Palau. She was like, you want Palau? I was like, yeah, Palau. So she just cut me a ticket. Round trip, free, to Palau. On the way to Palau, I met a guy who was from Palau. and He was like, why the fuck are you going to Palau?
0: There's <laughs> nothing to do there or what? He was like,
1: dude, you got to be 21 to drink there. I was like, oh. I was 20 at the time. I was like, well, that sucks. He was like, get off at of Guam, man. And the way And <laughs> The way he smiled when he said Guam. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like you can do anything in Guam, man. <laughs> you know, twenty. That's years interesting. That like, like Guam
0: region is interesting because it's like it a huge military base, right? I didn't
1: even know it was a military base. Yeah. I had never even heard of it.
0: It's like uh people. I think I, I have a friend who's from there. It's right? a naval
1: and an air force base. Yeah. And, it's and big.
0: Then, then it's also like
1: a its own culture. So. It's, yeah, but it's it's an American territory. They and it's, fly yeah, the flag. It,
0: yeah. They use yeah. the
1: dollar. Yeah. But uh, I. So I just I just got off. I had a layover in Guam, and I just took my bag and got off there. I terminated, right there in Guam, and just called my sergeant. Was like, hey, they need to cut a new ticket from Guam because I just, I got off. <laughs> so they did. Would have been interesting to go to Palau though.
0: It's probably a smaller island. I wish I would have
1: gotten to Palau, man.
0: You wish you would have? Yeah. How was Guam?
1: It was fine. I was just tw- I was fucking twenty years old, man. I just I. I drank too much alcohol. I spent $5,000 on that island somehow. Two weeks. In two weeks. I don't even know what I spent it on. But was it part- There was parties and everything? Or yeah,
0: yeah. It was, it was bullshit. Should have gone to Palau. Doesn't diving. Yeah, to this day, you haven't been to Palau, right? Yeah, still haven't. That's a good one to... Uh, check off the uh, bucket list. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Yeah, you, you go back to... You get back home. You uh, see your parents... What do you guys do? You go for dinner? Like, go yeah, home? I think, Oh, man. What did we
1: do? I don't remember. I'm sh- yeah, I'm sure we went out to dinner. Do you have any siblings? Yeah, I got three of them. Were they there? My sister and my little brother were, and I think I saw my older brother after that. He had kids, so, like, he he wasn't as mobile. I see. So I think I had to wait to get home to see him.
0: And the way you kept in touch with uh, your family at that time when you were in Iraq was through letters, right? Yeah. you send no, letters?
1: We, we, God, that sounds so old-fashioned. That sounds really I old-fashioned. Think, I mean, there's probably a bit of Facebook, but like... Or uh, MySpace, not Facebook. But, yeah, I think... Yeah, there... No, 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 we had... We had uh, tents where you could go and make phone calls. Oh, okay. And um, <clears throat> you'd have to buy these phone cards. Yeah. I don't remember how much they were, but we didn't have... Anything else to buy anyway? All our food and lodging is paid for. So you yeah. just make tax-free money and you buy toothpaste. Yeah. So it, we bought these phone cards, and then you just go in and like call home and, and talk to them, and then you'd eventually run out of minutes and call us ended.
0: I remember doing that when I was. I think when my mom she moved to Australia for a year while we were in Colombia. She was looking to move elsewhere. Before we made the decision to come to the U. S. and I think we had, the way you would call it is you'd have to go buy some plan at a cell phone store that gave you certain minutes or they charge you certain minutes you'd have to you'd, you'd have a balance and they, they were expensive mm-hmm. compared to now where you cannot get a mm-hmm. you can now get an international phone plan to two hundred and ten countries and so two hundred and ten countries there's I thought there was only one ninety two <laughs> like. You know, there's 210 countries, <laughs> including auton- autonomous regions. So, yeah, my cell phone plan actually has that. that, that any, mm. I can call from anywhere. So, pretty crazy to think. But you never sent letters, or you still did?
1: I think I sent some letters, yeah. Yeah. Not much.
0: <laughs> Mom and dad, I'm just doing nothing. <laughs> just chilling here.
1: And basically, we did a lot How of How desperate
0: did you feel? Was there ever a day where you were just like, oh my goodness, this is fucking terrible? All the time. <laughs> Every the time. day? At least once a day. Did you guys have not have some... Did you, did
1: you, how'd you guys what, what was your... At the end of the day, the, the thing that kept us sane is at the end of the day, we played volleyball. Me and a group of guys, we played volleyball. There's a lot of sand. We just needed a net and a ball. And so, you, you did it. We got that, and then... Um, so that was your break at the end of the day? You just At the end of the day, yeah. The sun's going down, we'd play some volleyball, we'd play spades, play a lot of cards. Yeah, That was fun as hell. I had my guitar, so I was like... You were able to bring your guitar? Yeah, I brought a guitar with me, and I was able to play like all the time. I got pretty good, because every <laughs> night I was playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was cool.
0: So there's some positives in... Oh, there's tons of was positives. It, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. just thinking, man. I'm stuck. I want to do other things, right? I just don't yeah. want to be here. I wanted to doing, get.
1: I feel like I wanted to get on with my life, but you know, life is what's happening when you're waiting for it to. Yeah. Get on, you know. So you came back at twenty. So I, was, I came back a month before my twenty-first birthday. I couldn't even buy a beer.
0: <laughs> and you had just pretty much defended your country.
1: I had just come back. Just represented, the your co- yeah. And I I had my friends buy me beer. <laughs> I,
0: That's hilarious. I know. So, I mean, you're 30. How old did you say you were? 36. So, what have, what have you been up to the past 16 years?
1: <laughs> man. <laughs> Not much. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, man. 16 Boy, years ago, man. I was like. 11. I mean, shortly, I'll, I'll tell you shortly, is uh, <clears throat> a few days after I came back. So, uh, my best friend that I went over with and came back with, um, his family had moved down from the Northeast while we were gone. They moved down to Georgia. So, I was getting, I met all his cousins, aunts, and uncles, and everything. One of his cousins was pretty cute. And she thought I was pretty cute too. Oh, and, really? Uh, we yeah. started dating. Yeah, yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> and we started dating, and we ended up getting married. What What age? I was 23 when I got married. So we were together for two years. But like, okay, let me back up one more time. Before I met her, I was going to go on this badass trip through South America.
0: Really? So, America. so before we get into all your trip stories, I guess, you... You, were, you started becoming pretty obsessed with traveling, huh? You started thinking about it. Something in, in you was like, like, I
1: need to travel.
0: I need to do something.
1: Iraq and Kuwait just awakened it. Like, those were the first countries I ever went to. And I got to go to a few more while I was like, stationed out that way. But Where did uh, you go? I went to Qatar. At the time, what was it like? Man, Q- it was just starting. It was just, it was just like, starting. You, you saw a lot of cranes. Building wow. and a lot of buildings. And it was It was beautiful. But the money was already it, there, but, like, it was s-
0: nothing like it is now. The sky should yeah, I mean, yeah. that city is so new, so modern. Yeah.
1: I spent, like, ten days, seven or ten days. So,
0: yeah, tell me what those, so...
1: It wasn't terrible. Kuwait, Iraq,
0: Qatar, what other countries, I went guess. to
1: Afghanistan for a few yeah. weeks to, to, to near Kabul, um place called bagram bagram airfield it was like the main airfield and i didn't even leave the airfield so i can i can't really claim that i went to afghanistan but i was why'd you go
0: they sent you there
1: yeah yeah it was just mission related stuff
0: did you feel a difference i mean
1: it's yeah it was cold as fuck yeah it was beautiful it was beautiful there the mountains. I mean, the mountains just towered over. Like
0: Afghanistan, I've heard. I've, that's what I've heard about Afghanistan oh is the gorgeous. the mountainous region, the landscape of it. Yeah, it's very hard to take over that country. Yeah. Because of the mountains. Yeah. The Russians couldn't. No. One I
1: don't. Could. I
0: don't think. I don't think America tried to take over. But this, they, you know. That's why if they t- like that's why the Taliban I think had uh, control over certain cities, mm. and it wasn't until they came to Kabul that. And that, which takes a lot to do because of the 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 landscape that the, all the things that just went down went down. Which by the way, what do you what do you think about all the things that went down in Af- in Afghanistan? Do you it's have any do you have tragic, any thoughts? It's
1: tragic. I mean, I I'm not really qualified to have thoughts on it because I don't know much. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I do know that, you know, there was an exit plan for a long time. It was extended, and then eventually you just, if you just don't have public support, like constant public support screaming for something then eventually you just have to say okay maybe it's time to to actually pull out i think everybody thought that the afghan police and military would be better equipped and would be more capable than they were i think everyone was shocked at how fast they folded yeah um it was a it was a fucking disaster it was a disaster
0: is there anyone left in Iraq? Um, any any U.S. presence in Iraq I think left? So. I'm yeah, not
1: really sure, very
0: either. very very little. Probably. Afghanistan, I think everybody's completely gone, right? Yeah, I think so. Which is crazy because. I was talking. I was doing a, an interview with a lady yesterday, and I was telling you off the record that. Did I tell you that it went... I think I was telling you it went terrible. Mm-hmm. It went really yeah, exactly. bad because she's an immigration expert. And I asked her a question. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not mentioning her name. I'm not putting her on the spot because nobody knows who she is. So I will repeat what she, te- what she told me. But she said... I asked her, what, what is the reason like the Middle East is, has had so many problems? She said, Colonialism just they, there was no problems absolutely yeah. none it's been bigger powers coming like you think of spanish and french in morocco french in tunisia the british in egypt the british in um or sorry Iraq. the french yeah exactly and then the french in lebanon and it just they, it really it seems to me and I'm not going to say that I know but it seems to me like they, they big powers come in, create a mess. Say that, oh, we did it because of this reason. But then the countries are in total turmoil.
1: Even when they, when they draw, like, look up the sykes picot line. That's the line, that's the borders of Iraq that they drew. Like, when people draw these borders, or the Durand line, that was a, a line that the British draw through, drew through Afghanistan. They draw these lines in a way to make certain majorities, minorities in in both countries. Like, look at the Kurds today. The Kurds are minorities in four countries. They would be a formidable force if they were all in one country. But they're nothing in four different places.
0: Yeah, it's a a systematically arranged borders. It's kind of like one time I saw, like I was telling you on Twitter, I learned a lot of things through Twitter. The real map of Africa... And it was like hundreds of more of additional lines because it's more of a tribal continent it's mm-hmm. you can't say Sudan is one people no Sudan had to separate ten years ago into two because the southern mm-hmm. people are nomadic and live in mm-hmm. different a completely different life yeah and it's like that in most like a lot of the conflict that you see in Africa is because the borders enclosed people groups of people that shouldn't really be that close to each other so the territorial um, disputes that Africa usually has is due to the borders that were drawn which I find so unfair man I mean
1: the British had a huge impact on the world so did the German, the Portuguese, the Spanish when we're talking about Africa they were all in, in these places as well and the French the
0: French have had a huge impact on the world mm. as well it's crazy the colonialism factor of and we don't really associate modern day French or British people w- with these their previous generations mm. which is a good thing because I think if we analyzed some of the things that have happened you, you can be like wow how, how is that even Acceptable as a country, mm. you you look at Germany not too long ago. They they had you know a crazy movement and, and that killed so many other people, and now Germany is one of the most developed countries in the world. So things can yeah, qu- they turn around. Things can quickly change for the better. My country, Colombia, was fear fearsome, a fearsome country mm-hmm. because of the cartels and everything and. Rightly so, because i talked to my family and how how scary of a time it was. But now it's a hot spot for people to go visit. It's becoming a tourist hot spot. Yeah, for and good reason, too. For good reason. Beautiful because life. that was one of the things that bothered me when I first moved to the United States is realizing that I represented a country. Because when you grow up in Colombia, you were just another Colombian. And then when you move to the States, then you realize... The whole weight of presence, of representation of your country is on you. You're an ambassador. You're an ambassador, so people will talk about your country. Oh, you're from Colombia, drug drug lord, and immediately it was like somebody had stabbed me in the chest. Yeah. I was so offended. I was so offended, and I couldn't defend myself because I couldn't speak English. But I remember thinking, what, like, what, what do you, how can you talk about my country like this? And then i realized oh crap i'm in a whole different world this, the, there's a perception of my country that people have outside of my country which i knew wasn't true mm. because like anything in life or any any conflicts in life usually the people fighting are not the people suffering there's the civilians and then there's the government and then there's the bad people when you go to colombia most people are just regular civilians trying to you know live Every day, make uh, ends meet and and feed their feed their families like every other family in the world is trying to do. But we just get a reputation that oh we do. I mean the the thing I hear most is oh you you're from Colombia why don't you you don't do cocaine? It's like, who said we do cocaine? Yeah, that's bad people in black markets selling it on and uh, exporting it that. Are associated to a whole different groups of people. They're not the regular civilian who's going to school and getting a career and doing some something mm. uh, respectable. So I remember moving to the U. S. and I can look back at it now and go, "Yeah, but that's how everybody must feel in the U. S. They must feel like they represent something, and yeah, it, it is like a. Um, I do I do think the U. S. is kind of a miracle that people so many different backgrounds cultures religions truly don't have any civil war and you can't tell me that because a lot of people may, may listen to this and say that the blue side and the red side is like nearing civil war but that's not a race against a race it's a party against a party and you look at all these other countries and I do see more tension between races, between indigenous people and, you know, more educated people or certain um, groups not being funded as well by the government as they should. But in the States, I feel like, I feel like it is really like, everybody is surviving from all these different backgrounds. Like, it's like we took samples from all over the world, put them into a place, And it hasn't exploded. People are living amongst each other Mm -hmm. in very safe and respectable, respectful ways. Um, You just... What I learned personally was don't take people's assumptions of your cultures and your country too seriously. Because people are quite ignorant and it's not their fault. You don't know what you don't know. But at the beginning, it was like, oh, people were throwing kind of shade at me. Like, oh... Colombians are a bunch of drug lords blah, blah. and it's like well of course I was young and I took it, it I took an offense to it but now looking back it's like well there were just kids telling me things that they saw on the news they didn't know any better mm-hmm. now it's your just your job to say no man like it's it's not the, that's not the way it is and I, I do feel like in America I never have to defend Colombia again now people are coming to me my, I've taken my friends I have friends of friends who have gone and I don't have to prove my country to anybody, but when you come to this side of the world, to con- pe- people who haven't traveled to Colombia, they still think like that. Oh really? Yeah, they're like the the Arab people for oh, sure it's... think that Colombia is still like that. Um, in Europe, people still. I, I was kind of half and half in Europe, but yeah, like. But I do like that America is traveling a lot there and is is realizing the, what the country really is and. Nobody. People love it. People want to move to Colombia. People want to move there. Yeah, I'm one of them. Yeah. So I love that that people have that the this whole travel movement in the past fifteen years has made Colombia uh, sh- or has allowed Colombia to show its true colors. Um, but uh, yeah. So that's that's something that that at the beginning was like. This is, and I don't know, what were we talking about just before that? That made me talk about that. You're talking about, um, oh yeah, the borders. Nah, you're talking, the Kurds, you're talking mm-hmm. about. So, you traveled to, before that, we were talking about you traveling to um, Qatar and traveling to Afghanistan. What
1: about after that? After that, we'll probably have to do this tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, I'm getting too tired, man. Yeah, 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 no problem. My eyes are falling. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, been yeah, really nice, but I'm I'm starting I can barely
0: can Yeah, barely, yeah, I what time barely... is it? 1 127. Um yeah, I think so. We've been talking cuz cuz
1: now is the part where like you want to talk about travel. It, it actually really gets detailed. Yeah, okay. So it would it would take
0: So as you guys heard towards the end of that interview, Um, we cut it short because it was very late and we were too tired. Um, I do want to speak to Martin on a different occasion, and I hope that we get the opportunity to because he's a guy with a lot of travel experience and a lot of uh, wonderful stories um, that remain to be told. Thanks for listening.